we, um, we want to continue to pray for just Pastor Hoppy, who, for those who don't know, he has a brain tumor, and uh, they've elected not to, I haven't heard anything the latest, I mean, if someone knows anything more than you can mention it after the service, but um, he uh, he's elected not to get chemotherapy, so uh, he's at home with Peg, and we just want to pray for the family, and just for that time, you know, God could heal him, but just pray for comfort. We have a card for him and Peg. We have two different cards. They're going to be on the table back there. So make sure you sign the cards. We have some other birthday cards if you'd like to sign them also. So um, if we turn in our Bibles just uh, to a couple Bible verses in the beginning, to Romans chapter 11, verse 32, and the second verse is going to be Galatians 3, verse 22. And I want to just speak um, for at least a couple messages on the love of God and God's love towards us. And But I want to look at it from the perspective of the, uh, the effect that God's love and grace has in our life as, in a miraculous way. And the, every time that we see a miracle in the Bible, and every time we see a miracle in the work of God, as we heard Ron say earlier, is really because of an act of God's grace. God is really waiting to be gracious to every one of us. He just waits to be gracious to us. He, and uh, let's just start in verse, uh, verse 32. For God has concluded them in all, uh, has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon all. God has made a conclusion about every person in the world, about you and I today, God's conclusion or God's sentence or God's uh, determination is, is that everyone is in unbelief. That there is, and we know, remember that verse in Isaiah where it says that, uh, that all have fallen short of the glory of God and there's none that seeks my face. And so we know that that's the condition of mankind today, that in our best state, God has concluded that we are in an unbelief. And the second verse that I want to look at is in uh, Galatians 3, verse 22, that Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that by the promise, by faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. And so that God and the Scripture have both concluded that we are in a state of unbelief. Today, I don't know <clears throat> how your week was, um, and by the way, you know, it's really awesome to break your week up a little bit with midweek service. And uh, I don't know about you, but by Wednesday, when Wednesday comes around, I'm ready for some fellowship. I don't know about you guys, but I'm like ready. I just come in here and just ready for fellowship Wednesday and then Thursday night. Prayer and praise has been a really sweet time because this time of prayer we always leave and we just feel like so much more, so much greater than we did when we walked in. Kind of sometimes we walk in those doors spiritually on our hands and knees just crawling to our seat because we just need the edification and then when we leave we're just flying out the doors and that's the way it is with fellowship and I want to really encourage you if you've never been or if you haven't really been coming out to midweek it's really a great time and those of you that do come have uh, have really know what I'm talking about there is um so the state of God's conclusion over the whole world is that no matter how much faith people can produce, it's still, it's still not enough. And I, why is that like a great point? Because uh, 
When we look at ourselves, and sometimes we measure ourselves, how much faith can I produce? We feel that in some way that if I produce something, God's going to reward me for that. And that is an economy of cause and effect. That is the economy that was a, an economy that's cursed, that when God said to Adam, he said that by the sweat of your brow, the fruit, the ground will produce fruit. But we can't take that mentality into the kingdom of God. The mentality is a works mentality, and God cannot coexist with works. He cannot. And there's no way that we could ever please God even if we wanted to. There's only one thing that pleases God, and that is what? Hebrews 11, verse 6. To make God's day, what do we do? Just trust Him. I was driving down here this morning saying, God, I'm trusting you for this service today. Because we cannot produce anything. And there are, before I, I want to just say one more thing, and I want to get, then I want to get into the grace part of the message, that there are three sentences in our life. If you've ever been, if you've ever gone to court and been sentenced, there's, you know what the word sentence means. There are three sentences on every person's life that we are sinners by practice. I don't know if anybody would disagree with that today. We are sinners by practice. Number two, we're sinners by nature. That means that if I, ne- if I was born and I never physically sinned, I'm still a sinner. Do you know why? Because Adam failed, and that's in my DNA. So if I never ever sinned in my life, I'm still a sinner by nature. Okay? And then number three, we're a sinner by divine decree. That's what we just read here in Galatians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 11. Let's turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I want to see, I'm going to take a look at Paul's humility and the understanding that Paul had about how much grace he had in his life. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul said, I'm, great, I'm, I'm the greatest in something, and he said, I'm the least in something. First he said, I'm the greatest of all sinners. That's amazing, huh? One well, of the greatest apostles that we see in the New Testament had the greatest sense of his of his nature. And I'm just going to read this to you, first, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, of uh, verse 12 through 17. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who, was, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a, blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. You know what insolent means? Rude, irreverent, and just careless. That's what insolent here means. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. What does that mean? That Paul received mercy in his life because he was ignorant of what Jesus Christ had done. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. <clears throat> now to the king eternal, immortal, immortal invisible, <clears throat> to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's four reasons why God gave grace to Paul, and there's two of them in this verse. Number one, he, he obtained mercy because he, he was ignorant. And you know, there is a measure of mercy that God gives people because of their ignorance. Those of us, when we have learned and heard of the finished work, we are much more accountable, aren't we? 
The second reason is, is that Christ wanted to show uh, long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in the future. Paul was actually being used by God to show a pattern of God's mercy. You know, sometimes when you look at your life and you may say, well, I'm not enough, I'm not reaching that level that I want to reach at, just receive grace in your life. Receive from God, because if we don't receive from God, then what will happen is, is that we, we won't be used as a pattern. Sometimes when we, when we need that mercy from God, God is giving it to us because He wants to teach other people through the grace that you're receiving. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, a verse that we like to quote a lot here is, is that the angels desire to look in and to see the grace of God in your life. What's the most important, what are the headlines in heaven today? Grace, the grace of God. The grace of God meaning that we are getting something in our life that we could never obtain or attain to or that we could ever deserve. Here's another verse, Ephesians 3 verse 8, that shows the other two reasons why God is giving Paul grace. Uh, Ephesians 3 verse 8, to me who am less than the least of all the saints. And so he's the greatest sinner and he's less of the least of all the saints or you know, by the way, when we say saint, we're not talking about the saints that we see in churches like uh, the ones with the halos. Every person who believes on Jesus Christ is a sanctified saint. He is sanctified and he is, he is no, uh, no less than any of the great names that we hear in um, many of the churches today that, um, that, that make an emphasis on saints. Paul said here, I'm less than the least of all saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Grace is given to us because there's a purpose in our life. Because when grace is given to Paul, there's a purpose that Paul would, would uh, preach to the Gentiles. You know, grace is given to us with the gospel in mind. And, you know, um, when we have received much grace, I think that that grace automatically desires to communicate to people who don't know grace. Okay? To the intent, and this is the second reason why, uh, fourth reason that Paul gets grace from God, to, to the intent now that the manifold wisdom of God might be, moan, be, no, be known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. What is this saying? That grace given to us is expressed to the principalities and powers, meaning the angelic host. When you and I receive the grace of God and allow it to strengthen us so we get on our feet and move forward, there's a testimony that we don't even know about. There's a testimony to the, to the angels, to the demons, to principalities and powers. When you and I are receiving grace and functioning in it, then there is that testimony. Now, I want to just, I want to get here to the practical point that when the Bible speaks about receiving grace in vain, what it means is, is that just as you would plant a seed in ground that's not ready for it, the seed can just die, correct? There needs to be the preparation of the soil, and the preparation of the soil can only happen by a violent, aggressive breaking up of the soil. Sometimes we wonder... Why there, are, why there is God is working brokenness into our life. Uh, there's two types of brokenness that 
God works into our life voluntarily and involuntarily. And when, for example, in uh, Psalm 34, verse 18, that it says that he is nigh to the brokenhearted, to the contrite in spirit. This is not brokenness that's produced because of accusations. Let me just stop there for a second. Sometimes you might get really accused by people or by the atmosphere or by yourself. And that produces a measure of just um, degradation and humiliation, doesn't it? But that's not true brokenness. A person that is, a person that is failing in his life, uh, or maybe a person is really in the middle of spiritual warfare in their life, and they're really going on with God, and then the devil throws something at them, saying, or through a person or through a situation, saying, you're not enough, you're not doing enough, you're not this, you're not that. That's not God. And that's not brokenness. That's, that's not true brokenness. Because if, and how many of you have ever sensed that accusation from, uh, from the devil himself, whether it's through people or through yourself? That's not brokenness that God's trying. That's called destruction of the individual, of the inner man. The devil wants to, the devil will accuse, because he's an accuser of the brethren. So learn how to, just as learn as we, just as, just as we learn how to detect the voice of God, which is a good shepherd that leads us into green pastures, also understand, too, that the devil has a, a strategy to break you down. And I, I was thinking about this this morning, that if you're, if you're moving forward with God and God's plan for your life, and I really feel that we are, as a church, uh, moving forward in a lot of great areas. You know, we, we want to be praying that we can... Uh, first of all, finish these two rooms upstairs. Uh, we're just praying for uh, the finances to finish that. Well, I think we need about five thousand dollars to do that, and then we'll then we'll tackle the cafe. But you know, when you're moving forward in God's plan, or when a church has a vision for the area, then the devil is going to try to throw things at you to break you down. This is called the wearing down of the saints, and this is what Daniel was was talking about. I believe it's in chapter ten that. He wears down the wears it down, wearing down the saints. And this could be a ten-year process. It could be a twenty-year process. And you know what the devil will do? He'll take advantage of the lack of our discernment when we are not discerning, and when we're not in prayer about decisions that we're making. Like if I'm making decisions in my life and I'm not seeking God's face, and we've all been there, we're going to wind up in the middle of something that we have no idea. I don't have the wisdom for it, and I don't have the discernment for it, nor do I have the grace for it. And so be careful at the decisions that you make, because decisions and things that we do out of sincerity, you know, we all know that that line sincerely wrong, correct? A person may be sincere. We may be sincere, but we could enter into error through that. God wants to, and this is what the Bible and the book of Proverbs talks about, the simple man. The book of Proverbs talks about a man who's simple. Kind of not simple like, you know, simple, but he's simple like he's a simpleton. He's, he's dumb. He just is, he is, he is not educated in the, uh, in, in the word of God and in wisdom. And so God wants to replace our sincere simplicity with discernment and the word of God. That's why if I'm a one, one time a week Christian, I'm just that's not going to cut it for for me. I'm, I'm going to be struggling with things in my life that that I'm just you know I'm not prepared for my life as a believer, uh, you know. And that's 
that's, that's what God wants to do in Psalm 51. He wants to put truth on the inner man. It says this in Psalm 51, Thou desirest truth in the inward parts. God wants truth there to replace our sincerity and our naivety and our simpleness with wisdom and discernment and like foresight. God wants to be able to have you in a place where you can see something coming at you two miles down the road. Isn't that great? Imagine, I don't know about you guys, but I've ever, um, I, you know, that's what I want in my life. Have you ever seen these, these scouts in these uh, Navy SEAL um, units? I mean, they got scouts watching what's going on on the horizon for miles. They can see the enemy's movement miles away. And that's what happens is that when you and I grow in truth and in wisdom and we're in the book, we're going to see something coming. And even before it hits us, we can smell the, <laughs> we can smell the spirit of it, can't we? That's called discernment. First, first John chapter 4, verse 1. We want to be discerning. We want to be... Uh, we, God wants to replace simplicity, sincerity, and uh, there's one other word, um, sentimentality 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 is when i uh, am am uh i'm loving without knowledge i'm being ignorant in my love i'm like oh that person he's done so much for me and i really owe it to him and it's just that's sentimentality and the only thing that we owe to each other is truth and unconditional love unconditional love does not mean that and I want to talk about it during the season. Unconditional love does not mean that I love people outside of truth. Because if I love someone, I'm going to give them truth in love. And so brokenness is when, was when and we're going to look at this in a minute, is when God draws near. True brokenness in our life is when I understand, God, I'm in a place like that prodigal son. There's many, many times in the Bible where we see true brokenness. There are times when we see people that are broken that never, ever experienced repentance. For example, Esau. Esau was very broken. Remember, he sold his birthright because he was familiar with it, because he, he had placed his appetite, what he thought he wanted, above what God had given him, and he sold it. He, it says that Esau sought repentance with great strong crying of tears, but he never found it. Why? Because there's never true brokenness. Brokenness in a person's life is not, is not emotional by nature. Okay, let me say that again. Repentance is not emotional by, by nature. There, it, may, it may involve deep sorrow and broken and, and, and emotions, but it is not emotional by nature. So, for, for example, if you and I sin, if we sin, and we understand the finished work, and we go to God and we name it, we repent, and then it's isolated and we move forward, there may not be a lot of emotion there. And don't feel bad if there's not a lot of emotion there. I know that goes against the trend of a lot of Christian teachers today, but you know, how many times have people gone to the, to the altar you know, and, and with, with, great, uh, with great tears, and then the next day there's no change in their life? Repentance is something that happens deep inside, and it happens because of true brokenness. And so remember this, that accusation doesn't produce brokenness. If you are in a situation where you're being broken down, broken down, broken down, 
day after day after day. Is that God? That's not God's will. That is what the devil wants to do. That's what the devil wants to do through, and that's what happened with, um, with Samson and Delilah, remember? Samson was being broken down, broken down, broke because of sentimentality. There are other situations where, where, um, where, where we see that, and I don't really want to just continue. I want to just go to the next point in the message. So three amazing things about grace. Number one, grace is not given to us, or grace is not withheld from us, because of demerit. Do you know what demerit is? Loss of points or failure or punishment. God's not going to withhold his grace from you because of demerit, because of things that you failed in or loss of credit. Do you know what I'm saying? Grace is not going to be be withheld from you because grace finds its greatest victory and glory in the sphere of human helplessness. It's not original with me. Schaefer said this. Grace finds its greatest victory and glory in the sphere of our helplessness. God loves to act in our helplessness. Brokenness is when I come to a point and understand, God, I just cannot. But I'm not going to wallow in it. I'm going to look to God. I'm not going to let the devil beat me down and, and just continue to, beat, to downgrade me. I'm going to look at Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we find grace begins to labor in us and we, it begins to um, work in our life. Grace ceases to be grace if God is compelled to give us uh, or compelled to withdraw it because of failure and sin. There's nothing that can change the, the river of grace in your life. There's nothing. I, Hitler had as much grace as, as the most holy person that you can think of. There's no limits, and there's no measurements, and there's no quantity or amount of grace that's given to other people. That's why when disciples said, Give, uh, increase our faith, they were talking about a three-dimensional measure that doesn't exist in the kingdom of God. There's no measurement in the kingdom of God. That's why you see words like the word that we learned this morning, splendorous or splendor. Splendor. I never heard that word before. It's a new word in my vocabulary. Grace is not withheld because of demerit, okay? Number two, grace cannot be lessened because of demerit. That's just the second thing, and we already said that. Grace is never exercised by God in making up what we may be lacking in, the life of, in our life and in our character. Um, because if it was, then much sinfulness could be a reason to give much grace, okay? One little microscopic drop of grace equals the entire Atlantic Ocean of grace. There is no limit to the grace of God. And number three, grace cannot put you in debt. Grace can't put you in debt. Did you ever think of that? Well, God has been so gracious to me. I, I, you know, I can't let him down. <laughs> what is that? That's deficit motivation. That's guilty debt. That's guilty motivation. An act of grace is no longer gracious if the conditions result in a debt being incurred, okay? Infinite eternal transformations are wrought in our lives by the power of God when he exercises grace. And this is what I, I want to I mention here, that there are three things that grace can't coexist with in your life. Three things that grace can't coexist with. You ever been in a situation where you can't coexist with something? You're just like, I'm sorry, I can't coexist with that. Like fire cannot coexist with water. Uh, number one, 
self-righteousness. Our self-righteousness cannot coexist with the grace of God. Uh, whenever we start thinking and what we deserve and what we've done and how amazing I've been, then at that moment we're outside of grace and we're not functioning in the grace of God. And grace, grace has left the room. Self-righteousness. Number two, uh, our failure. Our failure. What do I mean by that? When we fail and we live in defeat and we wallow in it and we're just condemning ourselves and we just go and we just go beat ourselves up and go to the bar and go whatever we do to, uh, to, to inflate our dilapidated self-image, that grace can't coexist with that. Just put, we put all that aside and say, you know what, I failed and I'm going to God in 1 John 1, 9 to receive grace in the time of need, Hebrews 11. Our effort, number three, we heard this in the offering, that we cannot, um, grace, God's grace can't coexist with our efforts, meaning that the energy of the flesh, you know, sometimes our flesh wants to get religious because uh, our flesh can feel condemned or it can feel religious. A lot of times, some of us are in this condemned place and some of us are in this, are on this, um, religious and there's two ways if you look at the narrow way narrow road there's two cliffs on each side one side of the cliff is is uh legalism and and um uh uh self-righteousness and um uh human energy and good human goodness which people fall into whenever they get off the road of grace and the other one is just uh just um uh, amoralism, it's, uh, uh, liber- it's liberal- liberalism, it's the throwing off of all restraint. Let's look at one case and then we'll close in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we see an amazing example of what we're talking about this morning. Luke chapter 5. Think of the times in your life when you've experienced the promotion and the blessing of God. Was that because of something you did, or is that the, the end result of something that, you were able, that we were able to perform? No, it was usually in a great time of need in our life. It was a time when we were very needy, and we went to God just as we were, and God said, I'm going to bless that because of your brokenness. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. We, we're going to look at um, Peter, who was a man who really needed grace. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, or Jesus, to hear the word of God. And he stood by the lake Gennesaret. And he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, or Peter's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And he had stopped speaking, and he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. I just love that verse, because there are times when Jesus gets into our boat. We're about our business, we're about our career, we're about washing our nets, doing the daily thing, and then Jesus gets into our boat and starts teaching. And we discover God is in my life. And then he says something to, he says something to us, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. This was totally contrary to uh, Peter's uh, mindset as a career fisherman. He, he was thinking, this is crazy you're saying this because we've already, we're already done for the day fishing. 
We've pulled the boats up. Now we're washing the nets, and now we have to pull them all out again and then go out there again. And this is what Peter said. Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word. And remember what we said about rhema last week? This is what this word in the Greek is, rhema. At your personal revelation in my life about what you're telling me what to do, a personal inward revelation about your plan for my life, at your rhema, I will, what does he say? I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught a great multitude, a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Wow. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord, brokenness. I love this picture here because in Peter's great depths of unbelief and disqualification and physical tiredness, and at the end of the road, Peter hears this man get into his boat, teach, and he says, nevertheless, nevertheless. And that nevertheless meaning that despite everything that's going on, I'm going to believe the cross and I'm going to take up the cross in my life. Nevertheless, that's a cross word. That's a pivotal word that talks about pivot and catalyst and, and transformation. Nevertheless, at thy rhema in my life, this is the thing, is that God is trying to get us to stop depending on ourselves, stop depending on what I can produce, stop depending on what I can go out and do for myself. He wants us to say, nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to come to church. And nevertheless, at thy word, I'm going to trust the Bible. Nevertheless, I'm going to get on my knees and I'm just going to cry out to God in my, in my private prayer closet. Nevertheless, I'm going to forgive that person for what they did. Nevertheless, I'm going to forgive myself because it's all paid for. Nevertheless, I'm going to trust God. Nevertheless, I'm not going to live in fear in my life. Nevertheless, I'm going to learn, um, I'm going to, I'm going to learn Ukrainian. <laughs> like, like Wesley's learning Ukrainian over there. Nevertheless, I'm going, to, I'm going to trust God. And at that moment when you did that, what happened? The nets broke. This is how grace miracles happen in our life. When we come to that point where we say, God, okay, nevertheless, I'm broken. That's brokenness right there. When our, when our, when our own understanding ends, when my own energy ends, when my own emotional um, capacity ends, when my, own every, when, when my patience ends, I say, okay, God. And then at that moment, God begins to provide. And listen to what happens. Simon gets on his knees in the boat before Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, was Simon condemning himself? Was he beating himself up? Was he maybe disappointed? Yes, maybe he was fearful. He said, Depart from me. How many times have we ever, have we ever done that? God has poured out an amazing blessing in our life in the midst of our unbelief. And we're, you know, that's happened to me many times. I'm driving home and I'm thinking, okay, God, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. Oh, Lord, how can you be so good to me? You know, isn't that amazing? And that's what God loves to do. He says, I delight in mercy. This is what God loves to do, to pour it on when we are at that point where we say, nevertheless, Lord, I cannot, but I'm here. I'm just here. God, just use me. That's why you just, 
Never, never withdraw. If there's trouble in your life, sometimes people get into trouble and they withdraw. They just withdraw from God. And it's like the worst thing that they can do. It's like, it's like having a knife wound or a gunshot wound and just saying, you know what, I'm going to go home and it's going to get better. You, know, you need to go to the hospital. You need to lay down on the, on the, on the bed and get worked on. You just need God to work on in your life and don't withdraw. And I want to finish with that, that Jesus says this. He said in the next verse, verse 10, Do not be afraid, Peter, from now on you will catch men. Don't be afraid. Why is Jesus saying don't be afraid? Because that was Peter's problem, fear. Peter was afraid that he was going to disappoint Jesus. He was afraid that he was going to let Jesus down. He was thinking, well, God, you know, <laughs> you just filled my nets with an awesome blessing. And, and you did it when I was in unbelief. And I, Jesus, I'm sorry, but I, you just got to leave. You don't know what kind of man I am. Just, you just leave you know, before, before, you're, before you're, you're, you regret what you did. Peter, Peter was really upset at himself, and he was really angry, and he said, just depart from me. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but God never departs from us, even if we tell him to leave. He won't leave. He doesn't leave. He says, you know what, I'm going to, don't worry, don't be afraid. And the word there is phobia. So we're t- it's, it's, it's a real word here. It's not just anxiety. It's a real fear that Peter had that he was going to let Jesus down. Jesus said, from now on, you won't be catching fish, but you're going to be catching men. What did, what, did, what did Jesus do here at this point? Jesus said, you're living in your career. You're living in your job. You're living in your employment. You're living in your family situation, Peter. You're living in your financial situation. You're living in your health uh, restraints. Jesus, uh, Peter, you're just living in your little world of, the three, of uh, length, width, and, and height. But I'm going to take you to another level. You're going to be now a fisher of men. I'm going to take you out of all of that. And you know what happens? It says that they forsook all and they what? Followed him. We can't expect people to forsake all and follow him if they don't ever have this kind of moment in their life where they realize that, you know what? If Jesus is not afraid of me failing him, you know what? How can I lose? How can I lose? Just go for it. And that's what they did. They followed. They forsook everything. You know, sometimes people get just so wrapped up and they're they're like, okay, I lost my job. It's the end of the world. Well, you know what? Praise the Lord. Maybe you just needed to get rid of that job. You know, well, I just lost my house. Well, I just lost my car. Well, I just lost this friend. Well, you know what? Maybe God's delivering us out of that stuff. Maybe maybe God's just taking us out. He says, you know what? You're in the fish. I want you to be about a ministry, ministering to men. It was before about the shopping, and it was before about the family, it was about the, which is great stuff. But we want to go to the next level with God. We want to be thinking about what he wants to do in people's lives and in our lives. And so that's how grace miracles happen. And whenever you feel the guiltiest, that's the moment, the most important moment that we run to God, to the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, verse 16. When you feel the most guilty, that's when the throne of grace has got the doors wide open. We used to have a sign out, and we had a we had a little thing on our sign out here before we changed our sign. It said, uh, "What did it say, Carl? Only sinners welcome, or something like that." And we had that up there for a while, and just thought, you know, that's what what it's all about. That's what it's all about, isn't it? So, let's close in prayer, and you know, maybe we're here today, and we're just expecting from God. We need from God a, a, a grace miracle. You know, maybe we're just um, starting to smell like the fish.
a little bit, and we need to be removed from all of that. We want to leave it behind and just follow Jesus Christ. And just if there is something like that today in our lives, and we just want to say, God, nevertheless, at Thy word, I'm going to let down the net. Nevertheless, I'm going to go back out there, and even though I've done it a thousand times, and there's been no change at thy word, at thy rima, at thy leading. I'm going to let down the net. And Lord, we just want to expect you today, God, for grace miracles in people's lives, in our families, Lord. Maybe we don't feel that we deserve the move of God in our family. Maybe we have fallen short, which we definitely have. But that's not the issue. Grace is not based on that. Grace is not based on your effort or merit. Let's just expect from God grace miracles. It may take some time, but keep looking to God. And in some cases, we need to get into our prayer closets, close the doors, and get on our knees and just say, God, I surrender all to you. I just surrender it all because I am trying to make it happen. And we just pray this in Jesus' name this morning. We give it all to you. Thank you for this time. Amen and amen.